It is time to get this party started. Welcome back to Lit for Christmas, the podcast where the books are full of Christmas spirits and so are the hosts. Join Marty and his friends as they drink their way through the great, and maybe not so great, works of Christmas literature. The fireplace is lit, the tree is lit, the hosts are lit. Grab a glass of something holly and jolly and join us as we get lit for Christmas again. Welcome back to our Lit for Christmas party for November. That time for giving thanks that we are only one short month away from the most wonderful day of the year. That's right, we can now play our Christmas music, set up our Christmas trees, and eggnog ourselves silly without getting strange looks from our neighbors and family members and anybody else. Um, back as my co-host this month is one of everyone's favorite Lit for Christmas drunks, someone who is willing to sacrifice her liver and perhaps a few brain cells to spread some Yuletide cheer. That's right, Madeline Bitter is two drinks in, or maybe one drink and working on her second, and <laughs> ready to discuss Christmas Lit. So, Madeline, how was your Thanksgiving? How is your life going? Oh my gosh, Marty. <laughs> oh, really? This sounds good. <laughs> yeah, really good. I, where do I start? I'll start with the Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving okay. was really fun this year. Yeah. I just had it at my partner's house. And okay. we had some friends over and we just kind of had like a Friendsgiving. Everyone brought a couple different things to share. It was sweet. Um, this is my first year ever making a turkey. Oh. Because okay. I had never been the one to, who's been deemed worthy enough to prepare the main thing, main you know. Okay, is, all right. I took it upon myself to do it. So this is the first time I've ever done it. And I spatchcocked it, if you know what that is. That sounds slightly pornographic. You're going to have to explain it to me. It, 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 mm. <laughs> yeah. So like, you have to like dethaw the turkey, right? And then you have right. to cut along the spine and uh-huh. you have to rip the spine out, which okay. takes a lot of manhandling. Turkeys yeah. are slippery. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. like a two or yeah. three person job. Like someone has to hold the tray you're cutting on. Someone has to hold the turkey so it doesn't just go flying across the counter. Yep, yep. And then you have to press down really hard on the back so like the like breastbone cracks. Right. So it's like super flat. And then you have to like yank the thighs all around to like get it to lay perfectly flat so it lays perfectly fat flat on the tray <laughs> and i'm demonstrating for marty right now yeah, yeah, I look at, she's, she's doing the physical position of the turkey in front of me <laughs> it helps when i'm like sprawled out on a big bed too so i can yeah. get kind of yoga vibes from it um yeah and but that way it gets like a really good like even roast it gets the skin all crispy but it doesn't get it dry it was actually really good okay everyone liked it i've been eating it all day but one thing i have noticed is i've just been feeling so sweaty (laughs) since yesterday and today and i think is that the meat sweats people talk about? It could be the meat sweats. Yeah. <laughs> I've been really like going kind of crazy on this bird. And <laughs> like, I just, I've been feeling so hot like all day, <laughs> yesterday and today. I don't know what my problem is. Oh my God. You know, here's the thing when I prepare turkey, like when I do the dinner and everything, 
I don't even want to look at the turkey by the time I'm done with it. I like put it on the table and I'm like, go ahead and eat it, you know. But also, if I'm doing a big dinner either for Christmas or Easter or Thanksgiving, whatever, if I'm doing a big dinner, um, I'm drinking most of the time oh. that I'm that I'm preparing stuff. Mm -hmm. So by the time the turkey is basted, browned, and on the table, I'm basted, brown, and on the floor. I just you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Also but, spread uh, out like a turkey. And also spread out like you just demonstrated, you know. It's like, oh my god. One one Christmas I remember I I did I I think I'm I was a turkey, a full turkey dinner. All of my wife's family was here. Wow. And I was in the kitchen. They were opening presents and they go from like youngest to oldest. They do this thing, youngest to oldest. So okay. I'm in the kitchen like doing dishes, uh drinking my dinner. And um, <laughs> and then they'd say, Martin, it's your turn. And I'd come out and I'd open a gift and I'd go back in. Because what I didn't really want at the end of the night was to have an entire kitchen full of dirty dishes right. that I had to clean after everybody left. So yeah. I was cleaning and making the kitchen, putting the kitchen in order. Well, by the time everyone left, I have no memory of what gifts I opened what I got I, I mean literally I have I woke up the day, day after Christmas and I looked at my wife and I said did I get anything good for Christmas because I had I had no idea but um so I don't know were you drinking for Thanksgiving too or I think I didn't have my first cider till like 4 30 when people oh, wow. started coming over because yeah. I was really scared that I think I'd forget something on the stove or in the oven. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. not what I wanted to do. I was really, I was trying to be on my A game this year. <laughs> well, you know, you had to tear out a spine. You had to flatten the turkey. So, I mean, you, you kind of can't do that without <laughs> when you're completely and totally drunk, I would think. Well, here's, maybe this gives serial killer vibes, but I definitely <laughs> did. <laughs> <laughs> Because so, here, I'm also scared of like maiming someone or like one of my loved ones with a knife or like a pair of kitchen shears. Mm -hmm. I want to have like full muscle mind connection when mm -hmm. I do that. And <laughs> and everybody enjoyed your flattened turkey. I've heard no critiques, but maybe it would be a dangerous critique to give. So I'm just gonna <laughs> assume that it was good. I thought now, it was okay. now now you said spatchcock. Okay. Yep. Is that what that is, spatchcocking, where you tear out the... the tear out the spine and you crack the breastbone. You usually do it for chickens, but it works really well for turkey, too. Hmm. I've never seen that. I mean, yeah. I've heard, like, deep-fried turkey. I've heard barbecue turkey. I've heard, you know, like, um, deboned turkey. and Yeah, barbecue turkey is pretty mm. good. Um, I do like the deep-fried turkey. My brother does that every once in a while. This is really good. Does but, he like um, deep fry it in like a trash can or something? No, he's got his own like big deep fryer that he brings oh. and, and does the turkey. It, it doesn't take too long to cook a turkey when you're deep frying it. Um, but spatchcocking, it, which is fun to say. It is. Um, <laughs> and, um, doesn't sound like it's fun to do, but it, it is fun to say. It was kind of gross. I kept on looking down at it and I kept on thinking of dobby from harry potter mm. and I, just how it looked and i was like because it's so wrinkly and kind of bumpy and like that pale yeah yeah pale color and i was like ah 
Okay. Well, just basically, <laughs> basically, what you're doing is mutilating the corpse, and that's what it feels that. like. It's nasty. <laughs> Having your hand like up in there, like putting the butter under the skin, you feel like, ew, like this is kind of yeah. gross. <laughs> no, no, I can't. I, I just mm-hmm. can't. So, so, but, but everybody enjoyed themselves. And Everyone we played. Time. Yeah, we ate ate ourselves silly. We watched some segments of the dog show. That comes oh. after the parade because yep. I love the dog show. I always mm-hmm. like have these big grand plans of like making everyone like fill out like a bracket, like mm-hmm. for a basketball or something with like the dog breeds they I, want to I, I heard the Dalmatian one, didn't it? I think it won its group, but I don't know who won the whole show. Maybe I, it did. I'm pretty sure the Dalmatian won the whole show. Oh, he was a delight. He was, yeah. The, I, I mean, I, of course, because I have a mini Aussie, I was rooting for the Australian Shepherd. Oh yeah. It didn't even get chosen for best in the group, so. Whatever. But they have I no was team. really, I was really glad that it wasn't a stupid poodle, or um, because I, I do not like the poodles. They're so weird looking, oh. and they're just dumb. And then I'm glad it wasn't the German Shepherd because it feels like German Shepherds always win those shows for some reason. Weird. I mean, so, um, yeah, I would really love to see like a little toy dog. With yeah, like something that looks because... really silly. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, <laughs> get one of those like little French bulldog, whatever, hugs <laughs> or something. Let yeah. them win best in show because they're just so cute. I mean, they are so cute. <laughs> I always like the dox hounds too. I love oh, the dog, dogs. Yep, the dog sounds are good too. Yeah, oh. um, yeah, uh, but I'm pretty sure that the Dalmatian one. So okay, I, and I'm then, fine with that. Yeah, and then of course everybody then goes into their football watching mode, and I I don't give a crap about. Football, I literally so. know nothing about football. I honestly forget football is a thing until someone else brings it up. <laughs> yeah, well, well, and of course, you know, yesterday, yesterday. For those who are listening, yesterday was Thanksgiving. So, um, uh, but um, yesterday it was the Packers versus the Lions, and oh. I had like, and I had the, I had a whole bunch of friends who were at the game and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and, and you know, and then on Facebook, everybody's like, "Go Pack, go!" or "Go Lions, go!" And I'm like, you know what? I, I don't. I actually, I think I put something on Facebook that says I'm going to say something controversial here. I don't I don't give a shit about <laughs> football. Just pass the damn stuffing and enjoy you know, your gladiator games. Yeah, enjoy whatever you want, you know, but I I just don't care. I just don't care. Um yeah. and um I I you know, I'm glad that the Lions are doing well. You know, they deserve to do well after what 50 years of I agree. Of Let them have crap. their time in the sun. Exactly. But of course Packers won so of course you know those are like both of my home teams too like I'm from Wisconsin but Mm -hmm. I lived in Michigan for a a a bit so it's like I feel like I have equal stakes in this game yeah yeah I just hope they both have fun and well you know (laughs) what it was from what everybody tells me it was a good game I didn't watch any of it could Mm -hmm. care less you know but um yeah I just I'm I don't know. I just don't get the compulsion for watching this game where, like, uh, when you have two minutes left, it lasts for another 40 minutes, you know? It's just... I can't stand that. It's so, <laughs> like, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start. Uh, yeah. 
It's mm. like, oh my God, two minutes left. Thank God. Now we can watch Charlie Brown Christmas or something. Yeah. And then like and then like 40 minutes later, they still have 30 seconds on the clock. And I'm like, how is this possible? You know, Einstein was right. You know, time <laughs> is relative. This is so stupid. Okay. So you had a good Thanksgiving. What else is going on in your life? Because you said, oh my gosh, let's hear it. Marty. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to be a mother, but not the way you think. Uh, <laughs> Your oh, face right wow. now is <laughs> Okay, I, I was like, I need another drink for this conversation. This is my announcement of my parenthood because I'm adopting two kittens at oh. the end of this month. Okay, okay. <laughs> and I will be your new mom. Oh, okay. Now, are they like purebred? What are they? Are they... So, okay, there's kind of a story involved. So there was mm -hmm. a box of kittens dropped mm -hmm. off at one of the branches of my library system that I work at. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people in libraries love cats. So everyone collectively just flipped their shit that someone mm -hmm. did this. And I had been feeling for the past couple months that I felt like my familiar, my pet, my animal was like, you know, somewhere out there. And sooner or later, it was just kind of kind of like fall into my lap. So okay. I wasn't really like making any plans to like go to a shelter, pick out a cat, anything. I just kind of had this yep. feeling like I just got to wait. So that was announced on like our intra library messaging thing. And I emailed the um, assistant director of the library. And I was like, if mm -hmm. these kittens are available for adoption, I might be kind of interested. So he got in contact he got me in contact with the foster and she was also a former librarian at the library. So um, she's kind of like in the family. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> yeah. So I met the kittens a couple weeks ago and there was this one that would purr every time she was held. And she was just like a little, a little princess cat just wanted to be held, just wanted mm -hmm. to like be loved and adored. And then there was a second one who was just so shy and she was like a little wallflower she was like hiding behind some boxes in the little room she was hiding behind like a treat thing just like kind of observing like mm -hmm. checking out the vibes and she has these two markings like right above her eyes they're like little eyebrows and they're so expressive with everything that she's like thinking and feeling and I just fell in love with her she was just so like observant i think and i thought that was really cool so i was like i'm interested in two of them i was also kind of bullied into getting two because people at work were like well if you have one kitten they could like turn out to be really mean and spoiled and not know like not to bite and scratch and they're like that means that means you should get two of them that way they're not bored when they're alone and i'm like okay i guess i'll get two so here i am preparing for two from the same litter Wow, are you ready for this? I have to be. <laughs> <laughs> when do you, I have when no do you, choice. <laughs> when do you get them? When do you get I will them? get them um the day after they're spayed, I believe. So that is either November 30th or the next day. Is that the last day of November? Let me check. Yeah, November 30th is last day. Yeah, it's so either it's like... November 30th or December 1st. So either next Thursday or next Friday. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna be busy um taking care of two little kittens. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. They're really cute. Wow. Though. I love them. Are... One has a tail, one doesn't have a tail. 
that you know what you got me when you said I'm going to be a mother and I was like wow I just uh I was like this is not what the this is not the way I thought this conversation was gonna go tonight I, I had to, like, I had to send you for a loop there yeah it's like <laughs> what yeah um I don't know if I can top anything that you just said whether it's spatchcocking a, a turkey it was or a becoming a mother, you know. I had a lot to talk about today. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> How well, was your Thanksgiving? It, oh, it was it was um different. Ugh. You know, I did I did do the turkey trot um uh, in the morning with my wife and my little puppy Aww. and my son Gideon, who was not a fifteen year old boy dragging him out of bed when he doesn't have to get up in the morning to go to and school. It's cold. And it's and it was like 26 degrees. Oh. And, and I said, hey, we're going to Marquette and we're going to walk three and a half miles. He, oh, was, not, he, he was not real excited about it. Um, so um, he eventually like warmed up and started talking about I would say three quarters of the way through the walk. Then he started like <laughs> actually being human and interacting <laughs> but aside from that I mean I've got a picture of him at the end of the race where Beth and I are my wife and I are just uh like smiling and happy and Juno's there with her tongue out you know and <laughs> he's just like staring at the, at the camera like this I, I I'm smiling now because I can't even do the expression that that he was like like that. I mean, just not happy at all. Um, so, um, yeah, so we did that. And then um, we always have, with my wife's family, we do mimosa brunch. So we have mimosas and everybody brings mm. something to pass. I made my spinach artichoke bomb and um, brought that. It's really good. It's got mozzarella, parmesan, cream cheese, mm. artichoke heart, red pepper, and... Mm. So good. Um, yeah. So I brought that. And then we went to um, my uh, my my family's house for uh, Thanksgiving dinner. My sisters made dinner um, and um, and they went all out. I mean, they, they made I, all I was planning on doing dinner myself because at first they said that they weren't going to do Thanksgiving dinner. There was only two of them in the house. So they said, mm -hmm. no, we're not doing Thanksgiving. We're just going to do our own thing. And I was like, OK, fine. So I was planning on making like a full turkey dinner for Beth and my son and and myself. And mm -hmm. um, I was planning on doing that. And then like, be, thank God, before I went shopping, they said, oh, no, we're going to do Thanksgiving dinner. And I was like, OK, great. So what do you want me to bring? And I was expecting like a whole catalog of things. They said, we want you to bring corn casserole, which takes like whatever you know, like 15 <laughs> minutes to throw together in like 45 minutes in the oven, corn casserole, and that's it. I'm like, <laughs> are you sure? You know, nothing else. Nope, we're making everything else. So I also made a pecan pie. Just, yeah, because I'm not a big fan of pumpkin pie. Me neither. No. It's mid-tier. It's, it, it's not even mid-tier for me. There's something very slimy and gross about it <laughs> that I don't like. I agree. And people like serve it cold because you have to oh. let it set. Ugh. No. It's so, it's so it's disgusting. Like eating like, I don't know. It's, yeah, it, you're right. It's, 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 it's weird. Yeah, it, it's sort of like, I mean, I've, I've 
scooped out enough pumpkins to feel like I'm eating pumpkin guts when I'm when I'm eating that. You know, it's I just, totally agree. Yeah, and and plus I I, I think pumpkin is such a strong flavor, mm -hmm. and it's not one of my favorite flavors in the world either. So. I, I just don't like, so, and my son doesn't like pecan, I'm, um, pumpkin pie either. And he, I just found out this year that his favorite is pecan pie. So I was like, okay, oh. I'm going to make a pecan pie. Mm -hmm. So I made a pecan pie. So I go over there and we're putting everything together, you know, and we sit down, we have dinner, we say grace, we're having a great time, planning on playing games with my sisters until, you know, the evening. <clears throat> and then we're talking and my my one sister has just started a new job um, as a as an attendant at a um, at the holiday gas station, um, cool. and plus she works at um, Pizza Hut too as she's one of the managers there, so cool. she goes from one job to the other. So <clears throat> she's sitting there, and after dinner, after we've eaten, and she says, "Oh yeah, my um, my boss at um, one of her jobs has um, is out for five days because." Um, she has COVID and I'm like, mm. and I kind of pushed my chair away from the table and I went, she has COVID. I said, have you tested? And she was like, well, no, I, I've got a little cold, but, um, but no, I haven't tested. And my other sister goes, well, you've been coughing all day too. And I was like, I pushed my chair back even further. And I said, mm. you've got a cold and you've been coughing. I said, how long have you been coughing? And she goes, for a few days. And I'm like, oh my God. So, <laughs> so I said, you have to right now test. I want to know you need to test. So my other sister who doesn't, you know, is retired. She mm -hmm. brought the test and gave it to her. And she, te she did the test. She didn't even know how to do the test. So wow. she, she, you know, obviously... I mean, she's been vaccinated, mm -hmm. you know, she's, she's had vaccinations and everything, but, and for all those who are anti-vaxxers and listening, I'm sorry, get vaccinated. You're stupid. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, so she does it and within two minutes, two lines on the test. Oh, dude. Yeah. So I'm like, I, you know, and I'm watching and I look at it and I said, you have COVID. And she's like, what? And I said, you have COVID. I said, get off, get away from us. I said, oh, go down to your room. I said, you need to isolate for five days. I said, and, and you need to contact your places of work and tell them that you can't be in. So basically I sat and had dinner with someone who was COVID positive. <sighs> so this is where I'm at right now. I'm testing daily. Uh -huh to make sure that I don't catch COVID. I'm wearing masks everywhere I go because of course I don't want to make anybody else sick. Right. If I'm sick. Um, and, you know, so it's sort of, you know, like I was going to say, a, I was going to drop an F-bomb there, but I'm not <laughs> going to. So it's just screwed up all the other plans that I had yeah. for the rest of the weekend. Um, so oh. um, anyway, I'm just waiting to see. And, I, you know, and I don't hold it against my sister. I mean, she's sick fine you know it happens I get it I yeah. think that she could have been a lot smarter I sort of lectured her about the fact that if you're at a if you're at a cashier at, at a cash register and you're taking people of care of people who are coming in and out in and out in and out I said you need to be masking 
you need to be masking, especially right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, I was a little, I was a little annoyed, you know, that's understandable. I am, you know, and when it comes to the holidays, when it comes to Christmas now, if we go over to their house, which I'm pretty sure we're going to, I'm going to say, you know what, why don't we all test in the morning (laughs) just to make sure everybody is healthy before we do this, you know, um, because I, you know, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's, you know, like, um, I, I don't think you should be upset if I, anybody should be upset if we say everybody has to test for COVID before we get together. I, no. don't, I mean, that seems like a reasonable request to me. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so that's, that's where I am. Um, oh, well, that's, that sucks. Yeah, it does. I mean, the dinner was good. The dinner was good. I will say that. Corn casserole popped off. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was it was it was really good, but um um yeah, the ending was not quite what I would have wanted. And then today, um, because I was scheduled um because I did um two spoken word albums of poetry, um Ooh. my Bigfoot poetry. Well, oh. I was scheduled today to go and record the third one, which is like the end of the trilogy of the album i was i was um going to a friend's house who does sound mixing and everything like that has a studio and i was going to do that and i sent him a text last night and i said hey i've been exposed to covid do you still want to do that and i said i i I went home and i tested like this morning and i said Mm -hmm. i'm covid negative i said it didn't it's i'm still negative and he said yeah let's still do it you know you can just what, I'll wear a mask while we're recording and you can take your mask down while you're recording um, your your poems and um, we'll just do it that way and we'll we'll put up a set up a distance. So I went today, this is my other part of the story, I went today and I recorded my third Spoken Wood album. It's mm-hmm. going to be mastered. It's called Jazzing with Bigfoot. Oh, sweet. Yeah, and I've got like a, a really good jazz saxophonist who's um, doing um music on it and a a band that's doing music behind me and um so my next spoken word album should be out by the beginning of the year oh cool i'm thinking so i mean put it to jazz well my first one was called slow dancing with bigfoot um and then the second one was called christmas with bigfoot um (laughs) and so i wanted something a little different with a little feel a different feel for it Mm -hmm. So the plan is to make it sound like we're doing this at a jazz club. So we're, we'll have like ambient audience noises and it's (laughs) and like the, like people, like I'm at a jazz club and I'm doing this and jazz people, you know, enthusiasts are there like listening and drinking and having a good time. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see how this is going to turn out. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm not complaining, you know, Thanksgiving was fine. Thanksgiving mm-hmm. was good, actually. I enjoyed the time that I had with my sisters. I wish it hadn't ended the way it did, but you know, um, but it, it's it's been an all right, it's an all right time. Now, of course, I'm I'm at that point at the end of the semester because I teach at college too, where you know I've got two and a half weeks and then finals. It's just like you know all that all the crap that comes along with an end of semester thing. It's just oh, like yeah. pain in the ass. It's like uh, did I just swear? Yes, I did. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so it's just kind of this race to um, 
finish everything up once we get back. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, you know, um, that's, that's my life. You know, that's what it's been. Um, and yeah, because we haven't talked since, what, September? Yeah, I think yeah. it was September. Yeah, September. We did, <laughs> and, and, you know what? It seemed like these months, I don't know. This is the last thing I'll, I'll say. Has it felt like this year has just like flown by to you? I don't even know, Marty. This year has just felt. Yeah, it's flown. I, I like, just... The weeks feel so short, but the months feel long. Yeah. I guess. Well, yeah. no, I lie because this this month went by at like the speed of light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like we're heading towards the last couple days of November. Yeah. Ugh. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like I everything. I mean, honestly, 2023 has been this like huge blur. I mm-hmm. mean, thank, thank God, because the last few years, it seems like um, I've had family members that have died every year for the last like few years. That's Thank God, great. you know, I'm knocking on, well, not wood, I'm knocking on the glass of my tabletop here, but, <laughs> you know, nobody, I haven't had any, like, family deaths, so mm-hmm. that's good, although there are a few people in my family that I wouldn't mind saying goodbye to, but that's <laughs> a whole other story, um, <laughs> but my, I, that was a really unkind thing to say and I'm going to blame it on the booze that's what I'm going to say <laughs> I'm blaming that comment on the booze um, but let's just say that as with all families there are some people that are more challenging than Absolutely. other people uh, so, yeah. <laughs> but no I haven't lost any family members which is a blessing and um, you know and uh, my daughter is graduating this December from college. Oh my gosh. I know. I can't believe I'm going to have a college graduate. <gasps> um, and then um, she is taking a year off and is going to be applying to medical schools. And oh, then cool. in about 18 months, um, she will hopefully head off to the medical school of her choice. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So, um, and then my son is 15 years old and is, um, spreading his wings and trying to be independent and in the process kind of being a little pain in the ass about it you know all the time as as it happens is he driving yet like has he no yeah that's the i I, that will happen in i think february he signed up at a driving school right okay nice and i'm not i'm not looking for it because i have a 2024 Subaru Impreza that I'm driving. I don't really want to him to drive my new car. It frightens me a little bit. I was not. I was not so anxious with my daughter to drive because she's very cautious and Uh and you know and very careful. My son, on the other hand, um, he's a boy. um, (laughs) I just don't think he's going to be quite as cautious as my daughter when she first started um but he has to learn to drive i understand this Mm -hmm. i just wish i had a beater car to um let him learn how to drive maybe Um, you should take him to like an indoor go-kart rink uh, or something something you know or pay pay somebody else to let him drive their car (laughs) i don't know i just i'm not looking forward 
to um, that moment when I have to hand the keys to him. Yeah. And then and then sit in the seat next to him and go, oh my God, oh my God. Slow up, slow up, slow up. Stop sign, stop sign, stop sign. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> that, that kind of, not looking forward to those moments at all. But, you know, I could, he could prove me wrong. He could be like the most careful, cautious, safety conscious driver that I am. But you have met my son. Yes. And um, does he strike you as that kind of person? No. No. No, no, I same. guess not. I guess I no. with the times that I did meet him, I wasn't really able to assess like his risk assessment. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, he's just um yeah, he's looking forward to it. He's looking for independence. And I'm like, I don't know what kind of independence you're going to get from me because mm-hmm. we only have one car and <laughs> your mother and I need to get to work. And right. you need to get to school and I need to get to teach. So I don't know how much independence. If you think that you're going to come to me at nine o'clock at night, say, hey, can I borrow the keys to the car? I want to go somewhere. No, not going to not going to happen. <laughs> not, not gonna. And I can just hear him. He's upstairs right now gaming with his yeah. with his uh, delinquent friends on on on, uh, on the computer. And he's going like I just heard him say some not very kind words to somebody, you know, like. <laughs> You stupid mother, mm, 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 you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. It's like, <laughs> wow. Anyway, yes, the, the alcohol is definitely kicking. You've had, you've had, you get this the meat. This you is have my the one. Sweats. I, the I one am that so did. sweaty right now. Marty. I'm, I'm sweating. Right all day. I, <laughs> I, I, mine is, mine is the drink sweats because I'm telling you, I'm roasting right now yeah um, so anyway all right Madeline. um i think the yule lord is knocking on our door and that can mean only one thing it is time to talk about what yule spirit is honking hon- honking honking <laughs> honking it's honking our glasses honking our glasses tonight yes <laughs> <laughs> Come in, come in, Ebenezer Scrooge, and know me better, man. You're... I am the ghost of Christmas Fest. Spirit, take me where you will. So, um, tonight's cocktail has me feeling a little pagan. Does that mean you want to strip naked and howl at the moon? At this moment, yes, I'm so hot, but um, <laughs> but nobody really wants to see that, believe me. So tonight's drink is called Yuletide Moon, Ooh. and um, let and Madeline is the one that found this one because I was like, mm-hmm. what do we do, you know, for this? And let me, I'll give you the ingredients for it. Um, so I Madeline suggested mead at first, and I'm not a big fandom fan of mead. Mm, I have to say that I've had it before. Um, uh, But I think that it was because I drank way too much mead the first time I had it. And that, and I might have gotten a little sick on it. So perhaps that turned me off of it. But I said, I I can't do straight mead. So we're doing this little cocktail called the Yuletide Mood um, that Madeline found. And um, it's a it's a pretty straightforward, easy kind of a um, cocktail to make. 
Um, it calls for like a dry red wine. Um, the ingredients that the, the place, the, the website that I, that Madeline sent me called for stargazer uh, wine, which mm -hmm. you don't really have to do that. You can do Merlot. Um, did you do Merlot? Or what did I you did, do? yes. You did Merlot. I did, and I can never say this correctly, Pinot, Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir? I don't Pinot know. Noir? Yeah, Pinot Noir. Yeah. I had a <laughs> bottle of it in the fridge, and I was like, that's dry. That's red. Mm -hmm. Let's use it. Um, so anyway, so you have a dry red wine, one ounce, one, one shot of dry red wine, one shot of bourbon. Now, mm -hmm. I have another confession to make. I did not use bourbon. I didn't feel like going out because my liquor cabinet is so full. I had no bourbon. I couldn't believe it. So I found a bottle of Southern Comfort in there. So substitute is Southern Comfort. Um, however, I did. I did Google to make sure that you could, um, you know, use that as a substitute. And did most of, I did my homework. And most of the websites that I read this from said, well, it'll do in a pinch. So I... But anyway, it's supposed to be one shot of bourbon. And then you take four cherries, either pitted and pitted, and they can be fresh or from a jar. So you can use maraschino cherries if you want, mm -hmm. um, but pitted cherries, um, three tablespoons of orange juice, three tablespoons of maple syrup, um, and a little bit of cinnamon and nutmeg. And then if you really want to get fancy, I don't know if you got fancy, but lemon zest or lemon peel. I didn't, Absolutely. I didn't. You did that? I wow. put the lemon zest kind of grainy great on there. Wow. You know, I didn't do that. I use lemon juice. I just oh, really well. like zesting things. Um, well, you know what? The motion I, that, feels so good. That doesn't <laughs> surprise me. After you mutilate turkey corpses, that doesn't surprise <laughs> me at all. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, so what you do is you take the cherries and you, in a tall glass, and you muddle them. Now, this is something I've seen the term before. I wasn't quite sure how you muddle fruit, right? Mm -hmm. But it's just basically like smashing the cherries a little bit to get the juice to come out from what yeah. I understood. Mm -hmm. And you can actually buy muddlers. Um, I was like, why would you buy a muddler when you can just take a stupid spoon and crush them? I don't I, know. I don't know. People are just way too fancy. Come on. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so you... You put the cherries, four cherries in a glass, you muddle them. I mean, you keep the cherries in the glass. You add the orange juice, the maple syrup, um, the wine, um, the bourbon, and you mix them together. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you pour all of that into an old fashioned glass um, with a handful of ice in it. And then you stir it. And then if you're Madeline, you add the lemon peel. Um, if you're me, you just put a little dash of lemon juice in it. <laughs> and um and then you sprinkle cinnamon and nutmeg on it and i will say this that it tastes like a very holiday drink it um, does it does i mean i i don't know if it's the cinnamon or the nutmeg or if it's like a combination of all those ingredients but i think it's um, also the citrus too because citrus yeah. features a lot in like very christmasy recipes yeah yeah and and it's I mean, it, it tastes, it tastes like a holiday drink for sure. Um, mm -hmm. And it, you know, um, it sneaks up on you because I can feel it sneaking <laughs> up on me right now. Um, I'm on my third one. I think Madeline's on her second. Is it? Is, yeah, is I need that... to refill mine actually. Okay. Okay. Well, <laughs> we might have to take a pause there, but we might. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm, I just finished my third. 
Um, and um, I still have some cherries left. I, I don't, I'm going to eat cherries because they're just too good not to eat. They're delicious. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I've talked about bourbon before. I'm not going to talk about wine. Um, but what I want to do is I want to talk about the origins of this drink because um, mm. I found out some really interesting stuff. So um, this drink is very, very, um, very, very new. Um, it was created by this um, guy. His name is H. Joseph Ehrman, E-H-R-M-A-N-N. And um, he owns this very famous bar in San Francisco called uh, the Elixir Saloon. Cool. Um, and um, he's the one that made this drink. Now, let me, I, I, so basically this is going to be a history of how H. Joseph Ehrman came to be a drink mixologist. Oh, sweet. Um, yeah, so basically what he was, um, was um, he um, he opened uh, Elixir in um, November of um, 2018. So, um, uh, uh, so it's just, let me see. We'll be, no, I'm sorry. Elixir, the, the, the saloon that he opened is 15 years old and was 15 years old in 2018. So that means it is now 15 plus however many years, what, five more years. So it's 20 years old, the saloon mm -hmm. Elixir. Um, and, um, basically he was this guy who'd gone through lots of career, um, career changes um he was um he he uh, had an mba he was in the um he came to san jose i think it was in the early 2000s because um 1999 um for an international business development software company and that was right when um everything sort of blew up with um the uh um with tech and everything and you know oh, the yeah, bottom dropped out yes. Yeah, everything just crashed. And mm -hmm. so he moved in 1999, got offered a job in San Jose, so I started working for this place, was making tons of money, and um, basically everything blew up in nine months, and he lost his job. Oof. And he started bartending to make rent. Mm -hmm. um, and then and, and he did have an MBA um, in, um, in the corporate world and everything like that. So, I mean, he was, he was a really savvy, smart guy. Um, but he was basically doing anything to scrape by. Um, he started a soup company with a friend. Oh, um, weird. From high school, yep. He was doing marketing and consulting for other friends' companies. And then he thought, this is really stupid. Why am I working for other people? Yeah. When And making other people money when I could be making money for myself. So um, he decided he wanted to get a bar. And, um, really? and because he'd always been sort of fascinated by... Um, this idea of the old West saloons, like um, when he was um, when he was going when he was younger, he like lived in Colorado and other places, and he would always go to these ghost towns that were in Colorado and and go and visit these saloons because he thought they were so cool. So cool. his dream was to open a bar, and so um, eventually, this is what he decided to do. After he was scraping by and barely making a living, he went for he moved to San Francisco and searched for a bar. And um, he found one, this um, bar called Elixir, which had been um, um, a bar since, this bar is um, uh, has been a bar since 1858. Whoa. So that's like what, you know, over 100, 150 years old now. Yeah. Uh, saloon. But this bar was like really in sad shape. It was dilapidated. It was going to be going out of business. Um it was like 
it was it was bad. Um, but he really wanted it, he said, because it felt like a really old West saloon. So um, he raised $700,000 in debt and equity funding. That's how he did it. And um, he basically went in there and in six months time, he did the bulk of refurbishing the place himself with a bunch of volunteers and friends and some contractors. But most, like I said, most of the, most of the refurbishing he did himself. Cool. And in six months time, um, he, uh, he, here's what he did. Um, he said he fixed it up to a more Victorian cleaner appearance. Um, something that it would have looked like a hundred years before. Um, they scraped away 10 coats of paint, Oof. removed six layers of flooring, um, repaired earthquake damaged walls and a hundred year old piping. Okay. And then, Opened for business after he bought this and did it took him four months to do this, which That's is not it? a lot of time. That's it. So oh when he moved God. in there, basically, um, when he moved in, uh, when he first saw the bar, um, basically it only had like six or seven bottles of whiskey in it. And that was it, you know, and yeah. basically his idea was he was wanted to make it a simple, like neighborhood bar, you know, mm -hmm. um, but um and and that focused on whiskey and most of the drinks that they serve in elixir are whiskey it's known as one of the best whiskey bars in the country cool um, but um he also started um because that's also when all of this mixology um craze started and mm -hmm. he became known as one of the top creators of different drinks Ooh. and um and he's um uh basically he elixir the the place is now um, a regular on the lists of america's top top whiskey bars cool. so if you're ever in san francisco you should stop by elixir okay. um, and do that and plus now i mean he's a smart business guy so he's uh, buying another bar or has bought another bar and he's opening and he's thinking of branching out and having elixirs in other in other states as well now but um he is the one that um basically created um the the drink that we are drinking tonight so i guess that sort of is a history of the drink in a mm -hmm. way but i just really found him sort of a fascinating guy um yeah you know, um you know his whole life is you know creating cocktails um mm -hmm. which is you know not a bad living to do you know to get paid to do stuff and make tons and tons of money doing it yeah, you're um, like a potions master. Basically, that's it. Yeah. Yes. And, it's, and, and it's, I mean, and of course, the bourbon is the whiskey portion of, uh, although I, I think people would like argue with me if I say that bourbon is whiskey, but they would. Bourbon, <laughs> yeah, I know they would, but still, it's a kind of whiskey. It really is. I yeah, mean, they're, a, cl they're it's, close. It's a corn whiskey. It's not a rye whiskey, but, you know, I think that's the difference between them. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that's, um, that's a little little bit of what um, what we are drinking tonight um, for the Ghost of Christmas Present, um, and um, you know it sort of has us seeing demons instead of sugar plum fairies, <laughs> uh, which is appropriate, right? Yeah. Tonight. And now it's time <laughs> to summon another Ghost of Christmas. Ebenezer Scrooge, I have come for you. You. You are the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold me. I am the spirit. 
Who are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. All right, Madeline, this is your time. Can you give us a little background on tonight's Charles Dickens, who goes by the the name just Brom? He's sort of like Cher, but yeah. Brom. Okay. B-R-O-M. B-R-O-M. So let's hear about Brom. All right. Let me get my thing up here. All okay. right. So Brom is, unlike some of the people that we've covered, still very much alive and still producing work. Um, and his full name is, well, his first name is Gerald, actually. Mm-hmm. And his last name is actually Brom. Um, but people, I guess, have just been always calling him by his last name, and he carried that into his artistic and professional life, mm-hmm. which just kind of stuck. And I think it's a very, I think it's very fitting for him too to just go mm-hmm. by the last name. I think it lends mm-hmm. itself to some of his um, kind of his vibe of some of his artwork. Yeah, his his artwork is amazing. Yeah. So primarily, well, I'll start from the beginning, actually. Okay. So he's he's fifty eight years old. And he was born in the deep, deep south of Anthony, Georgia. His dad was an army pilot, so he was an army brat. He moved around a lot as a kid. He grew, he, some of the places that he listed that affected him like a lot in the way that it impacted his art and some of his other work. He lived in Germany, Hawaii, Japan, a lot of different places in the south, but he included Alabama as being like a very influential place on him. And so living in all these places, they had a big effect on his imagination and his later interest in mythology and the supernatural. And these are all places that are just like steeped Mm. in a very potent energy when you go there. No matter how you interpret what that kind of energy is, it's very Mm -hmm. thick with it. There's a lot of stories there in the land. Mm -hmm. And I've Mm -hmm. like, I've been to Hawaii before. Mm-hmm. And there's most definitely a feeling oh, yeah. when you yeah. get off the plane there. You just <laughs> know. Mm-hmm. Very intense. Um, and they also have very distinctive spiritual practices there that are derived from the land. And that lends itself to Brahms' interest in like pagan gods and a lot mm-hmm. of folk ways. It's very earthy. Mm-hmm. And he, growing up, he was always an artist, always drawing, always painting, all the time as a kid. And he later turned that into a career where at the age of 20, he became a commercial illustrator. And mm. he has never taken a formal formal art class, but he did wow. spend a lot of time kind of studying artists that he took a lot of inspiration from. And this was interesting. He took a lot of inspiration from Norman Rockwell mm. as one of his really big inspirations. And if you know Brom, if you go and Google some of his work, it is not similar to Norman Rockwell well, in terms of subject matter. No, even even the artwork in the book that we read is mm-hmm. no, not Norman Rockwell. Not Norman Rockwell, but he said that some of his technique hmm. was very useful in how he came to cultivate his own style and some of his own techniques in his own art. And I just mm-hmm. thought that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so after a couple of years being a like a freelancer, kind of being a commercial illustrator, working for like companies, doing the marketing thing. He broke into the commercial art industry, particularly with tabletop RPG games. 
And he began to work for TSR, which famously, if you don't know, makes the Dungeons and Dragons game. Mm -hmm. So he's been credited a lot with creating kind of the aesthetic and the feeling of a lot of D&D campaigns, particularly Dark Sun. Mm -hmm. Um, He did a lot of work for this company in his time, too. He kind of bounced back between working for TSR and doing freelancing a couple times. Um, but he made book covers, he made collectible cards, he made arts for the games, like in the booklets that you that comes with them. Mm-hmm. Um, he also created concept art for computer computer games and like movie posters. And he's like really well known in that realm of the art community who mm-hmm. makes art for like fantasy, tabletop games, computer games. Mm-hmm. Um And all of his subject matter kind of has to do with like a dark folk fantasy thing. I mean, sometimes he kind of dips over into like the dark sci-fi aspects, but a lot of it includes a lot of very down-to-earth aesthetics, like a lot of sticks, a lot of roots, a lot of things that you can tell that are derived from folklore, from Mm -hmm. somewhere in the world that kind of lends itself to a very grounded aesthetic rather than Mm -hmm. one that's very like celestial or like alien and heavy technological kind of things and so yeah he's really famous in that realm of the art community and so much so that he actually won an award in the origins hall of fame that he got in 2019 wow um yeah so he (laughs) according to some of his artist bios that he has in his books he now creates art in a dark, dreary basement, according to his website, and where he lives with his wife and children somewhere in the drippy, drizzly Pacific Northwest area. Mm. And not only does he just like create visual art, but he also writes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has six novels that include his illustrations as well. And they all have to do with mythology, the supernatural. Um, so he has a book called Slewfoot which is about witches in colonial America, which I flipped through that book before we even, you know, decided to talk about this like years Mm -hmm. ago. The art in that is so cool. Mm. I loved it. If you've ever watched The Witch by by that, yeah, you know the one. It's very much related to that. And I love that vibe. It's so cool. Um, There's one called The Child Catcher, which is about Peter Pan and the Lost Boys. Mm which sounds really scary. And Lost Gods, his latest novel, is about a guy descending into purgatory to find his wife and child and where he meets, um, like, old gods, demons, and kind of gets to know their stories. Um, So, yeah, Brahm is intensely focused on the invisible energies around us all the time Mm. and what stories shape us and how. And this comes through especially in the book that we read tonight called Krampus. Mm -hmm. The Yule Lord. Yep. Yep. So, so you are the one that suggested um, that this book for this month's um, lit, and or it shouldn't. It's not Christmas lit, really. Uh, well, mm. we'll I get mean, into this, but it's it's it is Christmas lit, but more so than not, it's Yule lit. That's yeah. That's what I would call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to admit, I have to say this: I was a little skeptical when when I first picked the book up, just because the cover doesn't really scream um christmas (laughs) you know um it it is a picture that brahm himself created and it's kind of demonic and um 
yeah, it it looks more like a horror novel than a um than a, Indeed. a Christmas novel. Yes. Um, but I was a little skeptical. Um, but and plus in the book, Santa Claus isn't that really um warm and fuzzy. No. Shall we say this no. is not this this is not the Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer Santa Claus is coming to town kind of Santa. No. <laughs> um, in fact, for a good portion of this town, this is what I really am interested in. Santa is kind of the villain in the piece and then you're sort of flip-flopping whether Krampus is the villain or Santa is the villain or Mm -hmm. if they're both equally villains and you know neither of them are really that good it's just um it's it's sort of like Miracle on 34th Street meets The Exorcist meets midsummer meets you know it's just, <laughs> it it's meets really norse mythology meets yes. quentin tarantino it's, it's <laughs> such a strange blend of of uh different genres i think really because yes. it could equally it could equally be called a horror novel in mm-hmm. a lot of ways um but definitely i mean it's it's set at christmas time it takes place like the week between Christmas and New Year's, I think it's, oh, it seems like it's a lot longer, but it's only like seven days worth of time, more than, yeah. not, not much more than that. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, um, do you want to give, I don't know, it, I don't know if it's easy to give a, um, a plot synopsis of this. Do you want to try? I will try my best. And if okay. I skip over anything that you think is important, just tell me to pause. Okay. okay? All right. All right. Okay. So the, book opens up on Christmas Eve where we meet our protagonist named Jesse who's like what 28 29 when we meet him he's kind of younger and he is alone all by himself in a truck drinking a bottle of whiskey in Boone County West Virginia Mm. and he lives in a trailer because his wife kicked him out because he can't bring any money in he's saying oh i'm gonna play music for a living babe and all he does is go to little honky-tonk bars and just play for pennies so he's not really he's she linda feels like he's not bringing anything to the table and between the two of them they have a daughter um abigail abigail abby yeah abby and so she's like three or four and so he's all alone on christmas eve not feeling too hot. He has a gun right next to him, kind of considers using it on himself and goes, mm, no, I'm not ready for this. And then out of the sky starts falling demons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These little demon looking guys covered in furs and skins with glowing orange eyes and kind of gray, gray, like ghosty, ashy looking skin. Mm-hmm. And because they're chasing Santa's sleigh up in the sky. Yep. And he sees Santa's sleigh like land in someone's yard and like Santa's trying to go into someone's house, but the demons attack Santa because they're going after his bag and everything. Right. Right. They want the sack. They want Santa's sack. And so a fight ensues, like someone's car gets wrecked. The cops get called before like the sleigh ends up going away. And the demons are just kind of there like scrambling around. And that's how the book opens. Yeah. What happens yeah. after that? I can't remember. Okay, well, <laughs> Santa's... Uh, so the demons chase Santa. He's trying to get away from them. And yeah. in the struggle, Santa's sack gets thrown... It gets tossed or lost. Ends up going through the roof of Jesse's trailer that he's living mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And um, he sees Santa sort of like 
because the the reindeer like crash and burn too and i think some of them die yeah and that and so he sees santa running and this is not like uh chubby white elf bowl full of jelly santa this is like um this is like um i don't he's know like how big to muscly big muscly like, like he's still uh, like, kind of he's bigger but like he's strong like He's, he's like strong. a Viking guy. Yeah, he's only kind of, I guess that's the best term for it, like a Viking. And and he he sees Santa running and he sees these demons sort of chasing him because they're trying to kill Santa or catch Santa. But he goes into his trailer, finds the sack, um, and um, and then he like was like, What the hell is this? You know, because he was <laughs> like, That can't be Santa and anything. And then for some reason he like reaches into the sack. And he pulls out a present or something. And mm-hmm. he's like, oh, my God, this is real. And so, of course, he does what anybody, I think, would do who realizes that they have a magic sack that can give you anything that you want. He's mm-hmm. like, I need money. And he starts reaching in <laughs> and he's pulling out like fake money because yeah. basically the only thing that the sack can give people at this point in the story is toys. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he thinks about his daughter. He he basically drank away. No, he was supposed to make money and he was going to take that money and buy a gift for his daughter. Mm-hmm. And instead, the, the guy didn't have money. So they gave him like a bottle of booze and that's what he was drinking. Um, and so he's like, my daughter really wants these special kind of dolls that are really expensive. So he he thinks about the doll, he reaches in and he like pulls out all this. So he goes to basically see his daughter Mm-hmm. Um, who's living with um, his wife, Linda. I think that's yes. her name. Linda, yep. at one of the main villains of the story is Chief Dillard. Um, Dillard. Dillard. I, I can't remember his last name. But um, he's basically this really corrupt chief of police of of the city. New Hope is mm-hmm. the name of the city. And, um, and from the get-go, Dillard is just... He's just a piece of crap yeah. from the get-go. That I guy. mean, Jesse, Jesse has got a lot to learn, a lot of growing up to do, but he's not really a villain. Mm-hmm. He's just a lost soul, I would yeah. say. But Dillard is like, um, he's crooked. It, uh, you you know that something happened to Dillard's first wife, um, mm-hmm. and the rumors are that he killed him. It turns out you find out later that he did kill her in a very, very brutal fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Dillard also works for basically the uh, criminal kingpin of Boone County, who's basically called the general. Yeah, they're cousins um, or something. Th- they're cousins. And basically all of the general's cousins work for him, all the family. Work, they're the cousin's name. It's the Boggs family. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesse has also worked for the general just because he was so hard up and has gone to prison and then um, Dillard got him out of prison or something like that. And so basically, you know, everybody is sort of tied in with the general, who mm-hmm. is a brutal, brutal, brutal man, brutal mm-hmm. man. Um, basically, Jesse goes to Dillard's house, gives Abby the dolls. Um, and she's really excited. Linda thinks that she's he's stolen him. Then Dillard shows up and says some very. Uh, th- this book is not for children. No, that way. This do not read this aloud to your children. No, this is not a Christmas book that you would read to your children. Yeah. Lots of lots of very um, adult situations, adult language, violence, those kinds of things. 
I think mm-hmm. that the only thing that you don't get in this book is you don't really get graphic sex scenes in this book, but lots of everything lots else, of, though. <laughs> yeah, lots of blood, lots of brutality, lots of adult language. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Um. Let me see. So Jesse, at this point, um, comes up with this plan, and he basically uses the Santa sack after he leaves Linda's uh, Dillard's place, where Linda and Abby are with. Uh, and he finds out that Dillard and Abby are engaged. Not Dillard and Abby. Dillard and Linda, his ex-wife. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not really his ex-wife. They're still they're still married. They're still married. Um, yeah. 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 Jesse and Linda are still married. But anyway, um, Dillard tells Jesse that they're engaged and that Jesse just needs to go away and divorce Linda so that she can move on and have a happy life. Well, Jesse comes up with this idea. He uses the Santa sack to get all of these like computer games, uh, game stations. And he Mm -hmm. goes to the general thinking that he's going to make a deal where he he gets all these toys and and the general sells them for a huge amount of money and they split it 50 50. And um, it turns out that the general doesn't trust him, doesn't want to work with him. Mm -hmm. And um, and uh, basically wants Jesse to do a drug drop off or pickup or something yeah. for him. And that if he doesn't do that drug drop off or pickup, um, that the general is going to harm his daughter um, and do something to his daughter. Um, and so Jesse is sort of stuck. And yes. um, let me think now. I'm trying to think. And all this time, during this whole time at the beginning of the book, you see Santa trying to find the sack you also see you also see these demons who turn out to be henchmen of krampus Mm -hmm. um they're called belschnickels and um they are the demons that are hunting for this bag that's what because krampus and you you meet krampus very early Mm -hmm. krampus is basically imprisoned in this cave um chained up and can't get out um, unless the Belschnickels are able to get Santa's sack. That's what they need to do in order to free Krampus. So eventually, um, the Santa has all of these kind of mythological uh, creatures working for him, two big ravens that are mm-hmm. looking for it. He also has two magical wolves that are just huge and are, are ferocious and, and are, are looking, are trying to help find the sack too. But eventually the Belschnickels get their hands on the sack yep. and bring it back to Krampus and Krampus is freed. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I'm skipping a lot there, but there's a lot um, of car chases. There's a lot of gunfights. There's a good right. torture scene in there. Right. But the way Jesse's that... also there when Krampus is liberated, he gets in, he gets in contact with the Belschnickels and like kind of. Joins well, I mean, Jesse thing. goes for this, goes to this place for this drug drop-off pickup where he gets his instructions. And mm-hmm. when he's there, um, the Belschnickels show up and basically pretty much slaughter most of the people there except for Chet, yeah, who is um, the general's nephew, I think. Mm. So anyway, Krampus is freed. And basically you get this whole backstory about Krampus that's very tied to Norse mythology, which I'm, I'm, I mean, I teach mythology. I knew the basics of Norse mythology. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, that, um, that Brahm really, 
plays a little fast and loose with a lot of things in Norse mythology. I don't know. How familiar are you with Norse mythology, Madeline? I'm fairly okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. But it, but it turns out that Krampus is Loki's, um, from Loki's bloodline, mm-hmm. right? And that the sack that Santa is using to deliver presents is actually Loki's sack. Yeah. And, and basically Santa is actually Boulder. Mm-hmm. Um, who, if I remember Norse mythology correctly, was murdered by Loki. Yes. Um, and it turns out that Boulder spent like, you know, hundreds of years in hell and mm-hmm. was reborn. And then Boulder basically reinvents himself as Santa Claus, this this because he he basically turns to the Christian religion and Saint Nicholas and all that and mm-hmm. basically adopts all of the um, of principles and doctrine and ideas of of Christianity about you know um, having uh, charity and goodwill and acts of mercy and everything like that, which is really great. That's Santa. That's yeah. that's who Santa is. Mm-hmm. And of course, um, Krampus is Loki's bloodline, and basically um, is much more tied to the um, pagan traditions right. of of um, of the the Yuletide season. Mm-hmm. And basically, it's all about for Krampus. It's all about punishing bad children <laughs> and bad people, um, and also spreading the message of Yule, which is all about, in some ways, rebirth and and you know that and renewal. very t- renewal and being very tied to the earth. Yes. So you have these two very opposing forces with um with Boulder slash Santa being the Christian version of the holiday season and Krampus mm-hmm. being very tied to the um, to the pagan uh, side of the religion. And so the basically the battle is as to what this season is going to be. This is the main battle. Is it going mm-hmm. to be Krampus tied or is it going <laughs> to be, you know, Christmas tied? Basically, mm-hmm. that's what it is. And um, and plus Loki and plus Krampus just wants to kill Santa. Because yeah. Santa basically imprisoned Krampus for 500 years in mm-hmm. this cave. And before that, basically um, kept him as a prisoner in his home and wouldn't release him. So um, turns out, I mean, the Belschnickels, you get all the backstories of the Belschnickels, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you get Izzy, who I love. Yeah, Izzy's my favorite yeah. Belschnickel. She's like a 17, she was 17 years old when she became a follower of Krampus. She had a child um, out of wedlock and was going to kill herself because because um, basically her mother had disinherited her and everything like that. And uh, basically, I think she throws herself off a cliff or something and Krampus or somebody mm-hmm. saves her from that. Um, and then there's like um, there, there's there's a few other there's um, some Native Americans who basically yeah. were worshipers of this figure that Krampus is in their yeah. in their culture. Um you have Vernon, who was from the early late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen yep. hundreds. Mm-hmm. Um and um yeah, so you have all of the you get the backstory of all the Bell Snickles. Um the one that I I feel the most sorry for because it feels like except for the are they Iroquois? I can't remember what what they're Shawnee. Shawnee, that's it. Yeah, mm-hmm. except for the Shawnees who really our followers of Krampus, Vernon doesn't want to be there. 
yeah izzy, izzy doesn't want to do this you mm-hmm. know but but they're they are compelled because basically the way that they get turned is that um is that krampus bites them very like vampire logic very very much give them some of his blood to make them immortal but also turns them into these demons that have to follow his every command mm-hmm. and um and so that's why they're doing what they do um and and uh and eventually what happens boy this is the long it's it's a very complicated very there's a lot that like, happens yeah it does <laughs> but anyway so jesse goes to try to um free um free abby and her and linda from dillard's from dillard's grass because he's worried that they're going to be killed mm-hmm. uh, by the general because the general thinks that um jesse is the one that killed all of his henchmen and stole this um drug the drugs from him so and jesse is jesse by the way is a really good songwriter he's a great musician that's his passion that's what he wants to do so he gets caught they bring him to the general. The general takes a drill and puts it through his hand at one point, which was, a, it's a terrible scene. And oh. then when he gets caught the second time, um, the, the basically the general just tortures him mm-hmm. um, because he wants, because Jesse has done, has taken the sack with Krampus's blessing, has taken the sack and has like stolen all these guns from a locked safe and stolen all this money and put a a pig's head or a a, a cow's head oh it was the, a cow head or something yeah, yeah and the general wants to know how he did it mm-hmm. um, because the general has cameras all over the place and can't figure out how jesse did it jesse is being tortured basically tells the general the truth that it was a magic bag santa's bag Jazz general <laughs> of course doesn't believe him so takes a nail gun and starts like shooting nails into jesse's legs into his abdomen and things like that and and then um jesse says it's it's true it's the sack and and then and the general says okay and he lets jesse reach into the sack and jesse knows what he's doing um he reaches into the sack and basically pulls krampus out of the sack (laughs) and all the other belschnickels follow and um basically all the all of the general the general chet this other guy um, and all the henchmen are basically slaughtered. Um, Krampus turns the general into a Belschnickel, turns the his uh, the general's nephew into a Belschnickel, yeah. and um, everybody else is dead, pretty much. And he also turns, in order to save Jesse's life, he turns Jesse into a Belschnickel as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, then the next step, <laughs> the next step is that um Krampus has to kill Santa Claus. Yes. And so he he um basically um finds um finds these Yule goats. I think that's what he gets, mm-hmm. Yule goats and a sleigh. And it turns out that Santa doesn't live at the North Pole. Yeah. It turns he out lives that in Spain. he lives in Spain. So <laughs> basically I think what they do, no, this is what happens. They use the uh bag in order mm-hmm. to get to Spain. So they don't have to fly anywhere. They go through the bag to get to Spain. And there's this huge showdown at Santa's house. And uh, basically Krampus has found the one thing that can kill 
Santa because Santa is immortal otherwise because mm-hmm. he's a descendant of Odin. I think I'm getting this right. I think so, you are. Yeah. yeah, so basically what Krampus has been looking for is Loki's spear, which is the mm-hmm. thing that they used to kill Boulder before. Mm-hmm. And so he has Loki's spear. Um, He goes and Santa doesn't realize he has Loki's spear and um, uh, confronts Krampus. Krampus basically stabs him and then takes a uh, takes a, a blade and chops Santa's head off. And he throws it. And he throws it. He burns down the stable where all the deer are, but he lets the deer out. He doesn't burn. He doesn't harm the animals that are in Thank there. God. <laughs> yeah. And, but, but it also turns out that Santa has more than one Mrs. Claus. Turns out that there's yeah. many, many Mrs. Clauses because according to um, Krampus, Santa slash Boulder has very large appetites, <laughs> um, shall we say, okay? <laughs> so anyway, Krampus takes a sleigh, takes the Yule goats. They fly back to um, um, Boone County and basically Krampus goes about trying to reestablish Yuletide, um, mm-hmm. thinking that Santa is dead and now this time of year is his. And it turns out that Santa's not dead. No. That um, that his wives find his head, find his body, put them on a thing, they pray over him, and some angels come down and um, mm-hmm. basically rein- reincarnate him. Um, and so he's he's back alive. So, do you want to take over from here? Yeah. Meanwhile... Okay. Krampus and his Belshnickels are in Boone County, just kind of going from household to household, just terrorizing the inhabitants. And they also have this magic sand, which most often they sprinkle over the parents or whatever caregivers there to make them fall asleep while they talk to the, like Krampus is like talking to the children, like, believe in me or I'll punish you if you leave me like your pair of shoes and a little candy, I won't punish you. And he also is like carrying birch switches around, just like ready to beat kids with. Well, that's <laughs> part of the Krampus myth. That's, that's, that's what is. he does. Yeah. I just thought it was really funny, but you, you also kind of see like Krampus softening with mm-hmm. children too. Like he recognizes that they're really innocent and that he needs them to believe if he wants Krampus tied to kind of you know, be reinstated yeah. and he kind of like feeds off their belief and their innocence. Mm-hmm. So he does go around and he goes to a couple different places. Some of them are clearly with parents who are neglectful or abusive and mm-hmm. he, you know, gives them extra coins. Like he tries to level with them a little bit. And like, if they're really good or if he feels like they need any help, he'll be like, take these really special magic coins. You can take them to the pawn shop and you can get lots of money. So you Mm -hmm. can kind of like take care of yourselves. And then this one place they go to, they go to a trailer out in the middle of nowhere. And this part made me really sad. They go to this one where they see a little girl standing in an oversized coat out in the front yard carrying a shovel with no shoes on, just like a coat. And they go in. Isabel, the one uh, female Belschnickel, I believe, mm. she takes a particular shine to this little girl named Lacey that we later find out. And they go inside and you find out it's like a meth lab. Mm-hmm. Her parents are there. 
her dad is actually dead in the basement while her mom cooks meth in the basement. Mm -hmm. And it's like the place is a mess. It's like they're she's clearly starving. Like she's had to look at her father's dead body on the ground for God knows how long. And she was actually in the yard to like try and bury him. Mm -hmm. so you know krampus just kind of takes everybody out in that situation he's yeah, like no you know like and they end up taking Lacey with them so they rescue her from that situation mm -hmm. um so they kind of they now they have this child with them and they have to figure out well what are we going to do with this kid now like she obviously can't keep going with us like it's not right so they go to a methodist church <laughs> to um <laughs> give her away to a very nice church lady <laughs> and so they go in and all the belschnickels are like in the building i believe and i think isabel is like uh, like trying to talk to lacy be like okay you need to go in and ask one of the very nice ladies in there if they if they can take care of you because you don't have a mom or dad but it ends up to where Krampus ends up talking to the priest. Yeah. Or no, not the priest. There's no priest for Methodist. It's Min a minister. 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 So, thank you. I didn't remember. He mm -hmm. ends up getting a discussion about the meaning of Christmas with the minister. Mm -hmm. And then something happens and the church ends up on fire. Well, they're setting up, they're setting up candles everywhere. Oh, yeah, the candles. And then the candles basically set the get knocked over and the whole place goes up in flames goes up in flames and this is oh yeah and also while they're at this um <laughs> also while they're at this church dillard the mean sheriff guy he yes. is like planning to take linda and abigail out because he's like we need to flush this jelly this jesse guy out of here we've mm -hmm. had it so he is planning to kill um, his current girlfriend Linda and well because Linda yeah because Linda saw him turn Jesse over to the general and yeah. so Linda Linda is still in love with Jesse mm -hmm. from the get-go you get this feeling like she still loves Jesse but yeah. she can't deal with his shit anymore right. and he needs to grow up right but um once he sees she sees Dillard is working with the general Basically, she doesn't want to have anything to do with him and wants to leave. And Dillard yeah. realizes that he's screwed he because, it. yeah, because Linda would go and talk to the sheriff because he's the chief of police and the sheriff sort mm -hmm. of doesn't trust Dillard or anything either. So, yeah, yeah. So that so he decides I got to take both Abigail and Linda out as well mm -hmm. and as 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 Jesse, too. So. Yeah, so he like tries to I forgot what kind of weapon he uses, but he's like going into the house, locks the door prepares to kill them and they get her with this... a hammer oh yeah a hammer like oh the worst most heinous yeah. way to do that but like and but he also like has a conk to the head because she hits him in the head with a lamp so yeah. now he's kind of like oh like trying to get his <laughs> bearings like you know he's not doing so hot he's like popping pills trying to make the pain go away and try to get like reoriented but he ends up getting interrupted from this altercation with abby and linda to go to the church that is now on fire so he has because, to because his deputy said that the belschnickels were there and these are the and they and dillard thinks that the belschnickels are a group of like city inner city gang yeah who are trying to encroach and do drugs 
And he thinks that Jesse is with this inner mm-hmm. city gang. That's why he's doing it. He's got to go deal with that. So he's right. like, oh, okay, I'll leave off murdering these two people and I'll go deal with all this other stuff. Yeah. So he does. And <laughs> what happens after that? Oh my God. It's like it's so much. There's so much. So Dillard is there at the fire. Krampus gets out. The Belschnickels yeah. get out. Um, and um, at this point, I want to say, isn't this where they go to the bar after yes. the fire burns and down? They go, they to, go to Hortons, the Hort Hortons, mm-hmm. right? And in Krampus is like, "What's going on here?" And he, and they say, "Well, Chet, who is you know the one that was uh, oh by the way, the general gets as a Belschnickel gets killed in the assault on Santa's compound." Um, yeah, he's he's dead like almost immediately. Yeah. Um, but Chet is still there. And they mm-hmm. basically, Chet and Jesse tell him, well, this is a bar. This is where people go to celebrate. And Krampus goes, we're going to go celebrate because Yule Tide is back and everybody's <laughs> going to love me. So they go in there and everybody's kind of looking at him and going, okay. And They're like, cool some, costume, dude. <laughs> yeah, but then they realize, one of them realizes that these are the people that have been terrorizing the town for the last few days. Mm-hmm. And um Basically, um, Jesse and Chet go up and say, hey, we want to buy everybody drinks. And mm-hmm. um, the guy, the Horton, the guy that owns it goes, yeah, sure. And he, Jesse goes to reach into his pocket, take out some of these gold coins. And the Horton pulls a gun on him and says, don't, don't do it. And basically says, no, I'm, this is true. I'm going to do this. So I'm going to do this slowly. Takes out and drops a whole bunch of these triangular gold-shaped coins. Horton realizes that it's real gold because he did gold panning out west. There are so many details in this story. <laughs> and then, so basically, I mean, basically they give him so much gold that he can pay rent for like an entire year and plus mm-hmm. pay for all the booze. So basically everybody in the bar gets drunk. Mm-hmm. Krampus convinces Jesse, who said, I'm done with singing, convinces Jesse's like, no, no, no. Singing is your thing. You have to do this. So mm-hmm. makes Jesse go up and sing a song. And then there's this weird kind of orgiastic um, moment where people are turning into animals. They're half mm-hmm. naked. They're, they're having dancing, sex. They're yeah. drinking. They're <laughs> fighting. They're, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, and Krampus is leading it and enjoying every second of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think this is where if I'm not mistaken, at the end, after Jesse, uh, after at the end of that night, after everybody's pretty much drunk out of their heads and passed out, Krampus mm-hmm. is coming out of the bar. And that's when Santa eventually yeah. shows back up with these two like avenging angels that mm-hmm. are with him that brought him back to life. And basically there's this big um, uh, confrontation between Krampus and Santa Claus where Krampus thinks that Santa is still human and and Santa says, no, 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 you're not going to be able to do this. And basically Santa kills a few of the Belschnickels, but he also kills Krampus at yes. that point. So Jesse jumps into the truck, runs off to Dillard's place, and um, he has Santa's... No, he does... Yes, he does have... No, he doesn't have Santa's sack, does he? I, th- I don't think he does, but he's going there to try to um, save Abigail and Linda. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, 
Dillard is not there when he first gets there. He finally discovers where Linda and Abby are, which are locked in this cellar basement bomb shelter thing. And -hmm. they're coming up the stairs. Dillard comes home, realizes that this is the perfect situation for him because now he can kill Jesse, claim that he was that Jesse was going to kill Abigail and Linda. And then he gets off scot-free. And then Santa shows up, I think. No, he does have the sack. He has the sack with him. That's right, he does. Yep, and basically, um, he eventually overpowers Dillard because Dillard is still reeling from this head injury that he Mm -hmm. has. And so he basically makes Dillard climb into the sack, which has opened into a portal, portal for hell. Mm-hmm. And Dillard doesn't want to do it as begging and everything. Um, you know, Jesse, don't do this. Oh my God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to die and blah, 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 blah. And Jesse goes, it's too late. You know, he sends Linda and Abigail away before he does this. But mm-hmm. he makes he makes Dillard climb into the sack. And all of these um, demons from hell basically grab Dillard and pull cool. him down. And basically, Krampus says that if anybody goes down to hell with, and they're alive, pretty much what happens is that they're hounded for like a year, starving and tortured until they die and become like the living dead themselves in hell. So that's mm-hmm. basically Dillard's fate. He gets what he deserves. Yeah. And then and then after Jesse does that to Dillard, Santa shows up, says, give me the sack. And Jesse thinks he's going to be punished because of what he did to Dillard. But mm-hmm. Santa basically says, Santa basically says something, something needed to be happened needed to happen to him and basically you know it doesn't do anything to jesse yeah and so we're getting near the end people (laughs) with us we're almost there (laughs) we're almost there so um jesse goes back to where krampus was they take him back to the cave i think where um he was holed up for so long 500 years or so they Mm -hmm. bury krampus in the cave put stones over it um, cover it with mistletoe, which is Krampus's, um, basically his his plant. What mm-hmm. what represents him, and basically, I think the two the two um, Shawnee, two of them are dead. One of them yeah. is still alive. Vernon has just run off because he's wanted to run off from mm-hmm. the very get go. So Vernon, one of the Belschnickel, Vernon is gone. Chet has taken off. Um, because basically, once Krampus dies, everybody turns back into a human being. Yes. Um, Isabel's human. Jesse's human. Vernon's human. Um, all the Belschnickels are back to being human. And so Isabel basically goes to a church where she knows that her son that she gave up for adoption or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that's where he goes to church and she wants to reunite with him, even though she still looks only 17 years old. And mm-hmm. he's probably 40 or 50 years old at this time. Um, and um, the other Shawnee that is still alive basically stays at the stays at the cave and uh, guards Krampus's body. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesse reunites with Linda and Abby and decides he's going to pursue his dream of becoming a singing star. And Santa goes back to delivering presents on Christmas and the next and then fast forward a year where you get this little like afterward where it's a magazine article or a newspaper article about Jesse returning back to New Hope to do a concert because he's an up and coming national star now 
and he does a concert at Horton's, which is the bar where they had the orgy with Krampus. <laughs> and um, basically, um, the kids that Krampus interacted with the year prior are mm-hmm. are still following Krampus's orders and putting out, like, um, putting out um, shoes to be filled with gold, and leaving uh, leaving tributes to Krampus. Mm-hmm. And at the end, you have this little thing where it's a it, it goes back to the cave, and there's like flowers sprouting in the cave, and yeah. suddenly there's this laughter that possibly is Krampus, mm-hmm. um, and and like the whole like a lot of people in the town hear the laughter. That's the end of the book. <sighs> okay, goodness gracious, that's a long, long. It's a, it's a bit you know it's a great it's a book. book. It's, it's a big book. It's over 300 pages long. It's got great illustrations in it. Um, some really gorgeous, gorgeous illustrations. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Graham is, it really is a great artist. Um, but they do sort of look like Dungeons and Dragons characters. I hate to say this. Yeah, I mean, they certainly have that cartoonish fantasy bend. It's definitely not realistic. No, no. But I think, I think it kind of lends itself to that you can tell with some of his story writing that he does de- like have a lot of experience with the tabletop RPG kind of video yeah. game kind of way of storytelling, the way that the characters move from point to point. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes those movements feel very random to me. Like yeah. there wasn't yeah. a lot of motivation. Like, okay, like, but why are they going here? Why are mm-hmm. they going to this place? Why are they going to this place? And it kind of gave me that video game logic. Yeah. A little bit. Or, Especially it, with like the bad versus good just being like so starkly just there. Right. I mean, and it literally it's sort of like they go on these campaigns. You yeah. know, like the to these different things. Like we're gonna go kill Santa. Now we're gonna go spread Yuletide. Now yes. we're gonna go do this. So you have yes. these like different episodes that could be part of a game as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the book is well written. Um, yeah. it moves really fast for it being such a big book it, it moves really fast um, and um, you know you have I mean there's not a whole lot of complexity when it comes to the characters no. I mean because the bad guys are really really bad and there's no question that they're terrible and mm-hmm. should die yeah. um, <laughs> the, only, the only really nuanced kind of um, depiction is Krampus because at times you feel sorry for Krampus Mm-hmm. Um, at times you are sort of rooting for Camp Krampus and at other times Krampus is just a terrible person Yeah, <laughs> um, and does terrible terrible things same can be said for Santa you know you're sort of rooting for Santa because mm-hmm. you don't want Christmas to be ruined but right. on the other hand you're hearing all this stuff that that um, Saint, that Santa has done in the past mm-hmm. um, that doesn't paint him in the most uh positive light as well yeah so those yeah those two characters um are really really interesting to the point where when you get near the end of the book i'm not really sure who i'm rooting for whether i'm rooting for krampus or i'm rooting for santa right because i i like both of what they bring to that season like i Mm -hmm. like santa's like generosity charity Mm -hmm kindness you know kind of like spreading the light kind of thing but i also really like krampus's interpretation too where a lot of it is like 
being connected with the land and bringing in that state of renewal and rebirth and remembering like really old traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Just, I like both I of mean, those things. And it's like, it, why can't y'all be friends and work and, together? And, and truly, I mean, truly the Christmas season as we have it is really sort of this very strong blending of Christian tradition with pagan tradition. Very much so. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it. I mean, the fact that it falls around the winter solstice, mm-hmm. that was that was intentional on the Catholic Church's part to celebrate Christmas at that time in order to sort of counteract all of the pagan and Celtic traditions of celebrating the solstice. So they, they celebrated, they said, we're going to celebrate the birth of Christ at this time. Mm-hmm. So, and then um, the fact the Christmas trees are a, a pagan thing as well. I mean, when you think about it, bringing, yep. bringing a live tree into your house and, and decorating it, you know, that's a pagan thing. That's not mm-hmm. a, that's not a Christian thing, although Christians have co-opted it and, and, you know, explain its meaning in very Christian terms now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean, what we have now in the holiday season really is this blend of, of both Christian and pagan traditions, right? Um, which is, which is fantastic. And, you know, I was I was actually thinking uh, before I got to the end of the book, I was like, here's what's going to happen. This is what I had in my mind, is that Santa and Krampus were somehow going to come to terms with each other mm-hmm. and that they were both going to end up, you know, saying, we're going to share this. Like, right. you know, Krampus can, can have this part of the holiday season where he mm-hmm. goes around spreading... Yule, Yule myth and Yule logic and everything like that, Santa was still going to have his part of the holiday season and they were going to work together. Didn't happen that way. But that's what I was sort of expecting because what we celebrate now really is that sort of blending of those those traditions. Yeah. Um, so and that's... thinking back to the really old stories about St. Nicholas and even older stories about like yuletide gift givers they often Mm -hmm. have a friend that comes with them who acts as a foil to their Mm -hmm. kind generous jolly disposition because krampus followed saint nicholas around and you know yeah punished the bad kids so they worked in tandem together at the same time and it seems like in so many old um pre-christian but also christian european stories that gift giver has a foil to that Mm-hmm. to either instruct children on how to behave or for whatever reason one also has to be complementary to the other which i find yeah. really interesting well and and krampus the figure i mean he hasn't really disappeared this isn't anything new i mean lots mm-hmm. of countries including germany and that i still mm-hmm. celebrate krampusnacht which is um which is december 5th the only reason I know it's December 5th is because my daughter was born on December 5th. Oh, so nice. I, I always tell her that she's a Krampus baby. Um, <laughs> and um, she doesn't appreciate that, by the way. Um, but um, I wish yeah, I was so, a Krampus baby. That's well, cool. <laughs> yeah, well, Krampus is still a big thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, ever since I think it was 2015 that the movie Krampus came out, you know, has been gaining sort of popularity even in the United States. Yeah. Um, as as having celebrations, there's Krampus parades in some places, and um, it's also people... followed a lot of descendants of German immigrants mm-hmm. too, 
because I was yeah. reading online of a lot about this just today, actually, that places in Pennsylvania, Dutch country, but also Wisconsin and even Indiana, anywhere there's mm. a high concentration of people who are from like German immigrant families, mm -hmm. they kind of also brought those traditions as well, which yeah. I thought was really interesting. And I didn't know that. Yeah, well, and it has become a part of the holiday season. Mm -hmm. um, you have, you, they, people celebrate Krampusnacht, Krampus night, they also celebrate Christmas. Yeah. I mean, so again, it's that, it's that blending of both pagan and Christian tradition mm -hmm. um, in one season. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I, we still call, I mean, people still use the term Yuletide and Christmastide are sort of used interchangeably, but Yule when you really get down to it, brass tacks, Yule is very different from yes. Christmas. Yes. Um, there's very distinct, very clear differences between mm -hmm. those two seasons, but somehow Yule has been sort of become synonymous with Christmas. It's been um, a really hard tradition to be stamped out. And I wonder, I wonder why that is. There still seems to be something very potent about those traditions and what is a celebrated during yuletide like what mm -hmm. what do people actually celebrate then it feels like because i was also reading in my research that before santa claus became like a really strong figure in american in the american imagination people would like wild out around yeah. christmas like break into people's houses like get in fights drink like have a lot of adult yep. relations out of wedlock like in mm -hmm. puritan rule areas they would have to do shotgun weddings because the people would you know yeah. get together during christmas well, and, and i they think kind of that created that they created that character to create like a moral sensibility of well, being like I, to make, make I, it like innocent well there's a reason why in england christmas was like outlawed for so many so for quite a well, while right. yeah because the puritans and all that and and I Crom about that yeah cromwell sort of stamped out christmas celebrations wow. because they were so wild so out of control i mean you sing oh the God. song here we come a wassailing wassailing was yeah. a very very i mean it sounds like oh we're having so much fun we're going wassailing no 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 wassailing <laughs> was violent it was debauched it was, uh -huh. you know, people going from house to house, knocking and saying, give us something. And if they didn't give you something, they would just literally tear your house apart. Uh -huh. So, I mean, those kinds of things. I mean, that's all part of, of the Yule tradition that, you know, it obviously has calmed down quite a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, I mean... That's, I totally forgot there. about that because that's not what you think about when you think no. about Christmas at all. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, when, when Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol, mm -hmm. I mean, I think that a lot of the stuff that he writes about Christmas and everything like that in it really has like elements of old Christmas mm. as well as Christian Christmas in it. You know, the fact that Scrooge is being haunted by three ghosts or demons or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. You know, really calls to mind Yuletide celebration as opposed to Christmas celebration. Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean, 
Yeah, even even, you know, the quote unquote father of modern Christmas, Charles Dickens, was sort of playing, taking cards out of the game from Yuletide in order for his story to happen as well. So interesting. it, It really is. I I think it's a good book. I think it's entertaining. Um, mm-hmm. not the kind of not the kind of Christmas book that you would sit down and read to your kids. Um, <laughs> no. However, no, absolutely not. But all right. So Madeline, now that we've talked about this book, um, I think it's time to decide about the Yule tidiness of this book. Yule tidy, Yule tidy Christmas. Yule- I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> As all you know, Marty and I rate all of the lit on this podcast from one to five tiny tims yes one tiny tim being the worst tiny tim writes a book called a yuletide carol in which scrooge becomes a devoted follower of krampus and spends the rest of his life spreading krampus's messages of war on earth and ill will toward men (laughs) yeah okay um five tiny tims is the best krampus changes tiny tim and scrooge into belschnickels and they spend eternity drunk on mead and singing Yule carols in the local pub, which doesn't sound so bad to me. Well, that sounds like a <laughs> So, Marty, right. how many tiny Tims did Brahms Krampus the Yule Lord earn from you? This is a tough one for me because oh, yeah. I really, I really like this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's all about how Christmassy a book makes me feel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Santa basically is um, like uh, a Norse, reincarnated Norse god. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though Santa still does what Santa does in the book, which is bringing gifts and medical supplies and stuff to people in need, you know, so that element is there. Um, it has a lot of much darker elements than you would expect in a Christmas story. Yes. However, the end of the story is very redemptive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jesse is starting a new life. Um, and um, he's he and Linda and Abby are back together. They're going to go to Nashville and have a good life together. Um, Izzy, the, the Belschnickel that we all liked, um, she has found a new life for herself. Um, Vernon eventually goes back to the bar where they had that orgy at orgy night and um, basically starts working as a cook um mm-hmm. santa is back doing the santa thing um and uh, you know and krampus might be dead or might not be dead we're not sure mm-hmm. um does it give me the warm and fuzzy yuletide uh christmas feels at the end not quite um, <laughs> so that being said if it's one to five tiny tims I will give this tale 2.5 Tiny Tims. Mm. So there you go. Now let's see where you fall on this one. Oh, okay. I have some thoughts first and I want to keep <laughs> on it. So okay. are we approaching this Christmassy or is it Yuletide? I say Christmas. Where does to... one bleed into the next? And well, where... see, this is what we've been talking about. Right. So, because for me, a lot of, like, the connectedness to nature and the cycles and the observance of the old ways and stuff, that resonates with me, like, a lot. Mm-hmm. 
particularly mm-hmm. on this time of year. And I think with how the light is and how it's all it's dark as much as as, as much as light mm-hmm. is out during the day, I think that's very much reflected in the story too, with Krampus and Santa being at odds with each other. Yeah. <sighs> I'm gonna give it four. Wow. Four Wow, you really like this one. Because there's a lot of the redemption stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the rebirth and renewal, like what you just said with all the characters. Yeah. And like there is a lot of giving in it. Mm-hmm. Krampus does give a lot to the children and his followers, even though his followers may not have wanted what he gave them, but he also made them back into people at the end of it. Mm-hmm. So he got he gave them that second chance at living their life at the very least. Um. Yeah, I, I stand four. by my four. Four, okay. Mm-hmm. So if you add our scores together, that's six point five, and if you divide that by two, therefore <laughs> Krampus the Yule Lord gets three point two five. Um, as a as a rating. Okay. For, for this, so, <laughs> I don't know if you can live with that one, but you know, um, I. You know, I'm almost convinced by that argument because it really, Christmas is also about this reaching through darkness toward light and everything like that. There's so much balance of like that energy at that time. Mm -hmm. And I also think that like Krampus in a way sacrifices himself for that to happen, to bring the light back in a way for Balder or Santa to come back and keep doing Mm -hmm. the things he does. Yeah, and 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 Krampus at the end of the book seems very resigned he to does. what's going to happen to him. Yeah, it's like he knows, like it's a part of this dance they have to keep doing between the light and the dark mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, I'm still gonna stick by two point five. Okay. Yeah, I, I'll, uh, I'll send you some emails later, being like, "Well, this, <laughs> this is point A, B, and C." <laughs> well, you, you're gonna have to. You're happy. You're gonna have to convince me because I. I mean, I like don't get me wrong i like the book right and i love and i love the different spin on Mm -hmm. a christmas story that it gives and there is a lot of redemption at the end of it there is i'm not sure if it's christmas redemption but it's 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 there so anyway there you go (laughs) and now that marty and i are done rating tonight's christmas lit it's time for us to create a little christmas lit ourselves I'll honor Christmas in my heart and I'll try and keep it all the year. I'll live in the past, the present, and the future. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. The lessons that they teach. That time in the Lit for Christmas party when we, your hosts, sit down after having way, way, way too much to drink. Although these drinks didn't knock me on my butt like they normally do. And we... Yeah, we try to write a little something. This month, it is the lessons from Brahm teaches. Marty's going to give us a writing prompt based on a passage from Krampus the U-Lord, and then he and I are going to write for 15 minutes. And then after 15 minutes, Madeline and I will share what we have written, good, bad, Yuletide, Christmas, whatever, we will share it. But we don't want to write alone, so grab whatever you write with, and once you hear the prompt, Pause the podcast, set a timer for 15 minutes, and then write with us. That's right. It is time to conjure up some Yuletide joy or chaos tonight. Okay. (laughs) So here we go. I got to get my notes out because I 
this was a little tough because there's not really one Christmas scene that mm-hmm. I think really speaks Christmas. So, but um, I there's one passage, and I'm going to read a long passage from the book because it's one of my favorite. It's when they're in Horton's the bar. Yeah. And um, Jesse is up on stage. And this is the first time where we really see Jesse doing what he loves to do mm-hmm. the most. So he's on stage. Krampus has forced him to go up on stage saying, you have to do this. You have to sing. You can't give up on your passion, which I really like about Krampus, that mm-hmm. he really does that. Um, so here we go. Um. Let's see. Jesse caught, at first, Jesse is tanky. I mean, nobody's listening to him. He's singing terribly. But then it comes to this point. Jesse caught Krampus watching him from the bar and the Yule Lord's eyes steady and intense. Krampus spoke, and even though there was no way Jesse could have heard him across the crowd, he did, actually, feeling it more than hearing it deep down inside of him. Free your spirit. It was silly nonsense, but Jesse closed his eyes, tried to forget the crowd, concentrated on his music. Slowly, the din of the crowd faded, and it was just him and his guitar, alone, just like in his room. The tension melted away, the stiffness left his hands, his fingers found the right chords, and he began to sing, to really sing. It was an up-tempo number, a song about a man running away from a mean, his mean, mean woman. After about a minute into the song, the music came alive. The melody and notes became so clear he could almost see them. The music flowed through him, felt more like he was weaving a spell than performing a song, and he strummed the guitar hard and fast as though meaning to tear loose the strings. He finished the first song and went right into the next and then another, and it was as though someone had pulled cotton from his ears and he was wearing his own music, hearing his own music, his own voice for the first time. He wasn't sure if it had something to do with the spell Krampus had woven about the tavern or his heightened senses as a bellschnickel, or maybe a little of both. But what mattered was that he liked what he was hearing just fine, decided his songs weren't half bad after all, were quite good, actually. I'm going to skip down a little bit. So the the crowd starts responding, and then Krampus, Krampus moved among the crowd, bopping and clapping in time. A deep hum rose from the crowd, a warm sound almost of her. The music took on a life of its own, the melody of his song fading as he strummed the guitar to some distant, primitive beat. Krampus began to chant and the crowd joined in. Jesse found himself chanting along, along, his song forgotten, babbling without meaning, only feelings. At some point, the band had joined in and the pounding of drums and deep pluck of the stand-up bass swelled, setting the pulse. Every person in the hall moved out onto the floor, romping, dancing, and stomping to the beat. They nodded and swayed, eyes half closed as though in a trance. I'm going to skip a little more. The beat continued to rise as though a hundred drums had joined them. Jesse felt cocooned in the warm cacophony of sound. The hall grew murky and the lights flickered like flame. 
sending a host of shadows dancing across the wall and ceiling, the shapes of men and women, the shapes of men and women hopping and prancing. Jesse blinked, saw some with horns and tails, then beasts, stags, bears, and wolves, all swirling together across the walls like ancient cave paintings come to life. I love that moment. Super um, it's it's really a super cool moment. So what I want you to do is I want you to write about a time when you felt like you were a part of something bigger than yourself. Because that's what I think Jesse is sort of feeling. His music has moved him into a place where he's a part of something that's very communal. Um, and uh, and also he's he's doing what he loves. So, you know, write about doing something that you love where you were really in tune with it, whether it's writing, singing, whatever you feel, you know, is your passion. And um, then I'll give you some bonus points if that happens at Christmas as well. So <laughs> see if you can do that. So that's the prompt. I mean, it's a little complicated, but I don't think it's that complicated. Mm -hmm. So get in touch with your Krampus and, um, and we will see what we do. So pause the podcast, you know, pour yourself another Yuletide moon and, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we will see you at the end of 15 minutes. Woohoo! That is 15 minutes. As always, that time flies faster than one of Krampus's magic goats. Yule waits for nobody. Well, you'll regret saying that. Huh, huh, huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So why don't you go first, Madeline? Okay. My poem is called The Wild Hunt, and I wrote it about deer hunting. <laughs> All right. All right. To hunt a deer, you have to become one. Men roll around on the ground of bedded down does, embracing frost-lined leaves, rising up wild, new, born with new eyes and scents on their orange. You can learn to talk like one, act like one. Your shadow stretches out four-legged in the early morning sun, frost-blessed transformation for your new eyes. Bird song sounds half familiar, a language you share with a cousin you've lost contact with. Maples and oaks step away, and now you lope on all fours to move through brush with a newfound grace of terrestrial knowledge. A rattle call leaves your throat. Your family lives here and you eat each other. Blur your lines in with them like moth, like mist kissing open water. All the hymns of the cold wind stay there, howling. And your boot print fits in perfectly with the cloven imprint of a hoof. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Are, you, are you a deer hunter? This has been my first year, so I've been learning a lot. Okay. Did you kill anything? Not yet. Do you want to kill anything? 
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Who, who are you going hunting with? I'm going with my partner right now. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. And is your partner is is your partner like a lifelong deer hunter? Um, kind of. He took a really long break. I think like after he was a teenager and he didn't mm -hmm. really do it after that. But I've kind of talked him into it to go again this year. <laughs> wow. You want blood this year. Okay, I got yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? I really love that. I, you, you know, you really do have to become something when you're sort of throwing yourself into something new like that. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Well, here we go. That was really good. Probably should have ended with that one, but um, <laughs> this one is called Revision. I am bewitched by words, mm -hmm. held under spells that change me, transform me into frogs at the bottom of wells, avenging angels with swords of sunlight, serpents with sweet apples, poets who nurse soldiers with missing limbs back to wholeness. Words can unlock mysteries, be Rosetta Stones that explain pyramid buildings and crop circles. Mm. When I sit with pen and journal, scribble about my mother's last breaths, try to capture the ebb and tide of them, I feel as though I am somehow putting a stopper in death's bottle, letting those breaths like pebbles dropped in a lake, reach out and out until they have touched everything. In the beginning, God said something and created night and day, land and sea, winged and furred. And when the Magi showed up with their gifts, they found in that stable, sprouting in the manure, something wondrous, a word a line, a poem that revised the world with love. I step outside today and hear my mother's voice in the wind. Ooh. So there you go. Okay, nice. Snap. Well, okay. All right. I'm the about the crop circles. You got me with that one. I, I knew it would. I knew it would. <laughs> you so, were writing to the audience. <laughs> I know. You know. You got to know who you're writing for. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I did it, but, you know, I got something anyway, so. Well, I liked um, it a lot. <laughs> okay. So now that you've heard Marty and me share the crappy poetry we just wrote. It wasn't crappy. Yours was oh, really good. I think Yours we both did pretty solid okay. today. All you right. Know? All right. You know that what you've written is so much better. So please paste what you wrote in the comments to this episode or email it to litforchristmas at gmail.com. And of course, we will read it on our next episode. We will. We we promise. Please. Um, <laughs> but uh, unless we're out whipping people with, uh, you know, birch branches, which, you know, I'm not I'm not against either. That's I'm not against. I have a list of people that I would. That really you want to whip with dead. birch branches? Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're not going to die. But it's like, you know, mm, yeah. the message needs to come across strongly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there you go. <laughs> We'll we will speak read to you it. in the next episode. <laughs>
You heard the ghost of Christmas yet to come. You will show me the shadows of things that have not happened but will happen in the time before us. That's a spirit, ghost of the future. Oh, I fear you more than any specter I've seen. Next month, we will be reading Paul Kalanithi's memoir, When Breath Becomes Air, to give hope for all those who may be struggling this holiday season with grief or loss or illness. So restock your liquor cabinet and get yourself a copy of Paul Kalanithi's memoir, When Breath Becomes Air. Your invitation is already in the mail for December's Lit for Christmas party, which will drop around December 24th. You know, let's just say around December 24th. Mm, ballpark it. <laughs> so join us in a month as we get lit for Christmas. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That was, um, that was a good one. So, that was a good one. Yeah. I love right. Christmas. I thought it was, <laughs> I thought that was fun. <laughs> Thank you for coming to our little Yuletide shindig. The theme for this show is Jingle Bells Jazzy Style by Julius H., used courtesy of Pixabay. And the Lit for Christmas writing music is A Christmas Treat by Magic828, also used courtesy of Pixabay. All music, sounds, audio clips, and quotes in this podcast are the property of their individual copyright holders. They are used solely for the purposes of commentary and review. No copyright infringement is intended. Tomorrow morning, drink lots of water, go to the library and check out some Christmas books, visit the liquor store and stock up on Christmas cheer. Your invitation is already in the mail for next month's Lit for Christmas party. The tree will be lit, and so will we. Let's keep the Christmas spirits flowing all year long.